This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. In American history, there was only one sitting state Senate president ever to be recalled from office. His name was Russell Pierce, and 10 years ago he was recalled from office in Arizona. We have with us three of the most significant principals who were involved in the various stages of that recall effort to discuss it, what what brought it about, and what the implications are. The, the three people are Randy Perez. He initiated recall petitions. Tyler Montague was heavily involved in the search for an appropriate opposing candidate when the recall election had been called, and he then, I believe, ran that campaign. And uh, Jerry Lewis was that candidate. So uh, we have all of the principles here. I'm going to start with you, Randy, because there's kind of a logical sequence. You're the one who, who, to the best of my knowledge, at least in terms of public perception, was uh, involved in getting it. Let's, let's start out. Who was Russell Pierce and what did he do to incur your enmity? Well, at the time of the recall, and thank you for that introduction, Michael. At the time of the recall, Russell Pierce was us. Uh, he had just been uh, nominated or elected Senate president by the Republican caucus. And prior to that, Russell Pierce became more known as the author of SB 1070, which in 2010, when it was passed and signed into law, was one of the most you know, draconian anti-immigrant bills in the country to really target um, the undocumented community to, you know, in terms of uh, uh, to allow that, uh, create a policy and rules and laws that would help Sheriff O'Powell do worksite raids and do other things to harass and intimidate the immigrant community. And so that's what I knew of him. And, uh, and so when they went, you know, like months after SB 1070 passed and after the, the, big, the huge backlash of protests and marches and national calls for boycott in Arizona, you know, the Republican caucus then rewarded Pierce uh, uh, with uh, being president of the Senate. And for me, that was just a bridge too far. I just said, there's no way we can set out, we can sit out for two years and wait for someone extreme as I thought Russell Pierce was to have control of the agenda of a state of six million people. So uh, what were you doing here at the time? I, you're, are you, I don't think you're an Arizona native. Is that correct? No, I'm not. I, at the time, I just uh, – when Governor Brewer signed SB 1070, my response was to run for U.S. Senate. I did not make it out of the primary. So after that, I was kind of in search. I'm an organizer by training, and I was looking for a different you know, project to work on. And then when I was watching the Sunday morning square after, shortly after the November election, when Democrats we – got, we, got, we lost you know, statewide in every major race – you know, I, and I just saw Russell Pierce on the show, and I didn't know why he was on the show. And then when I saw the title, you know, Senate President, I was like, it just, it just shook me in ways I just can't describe it. Just, I was just like, you can't, you gotta be kidding me. How can we let someone like this represent Arizona? Because I, I didn't think he was representative of what most, even you know, Republicans as well. I didn't think he represented all of our views in terms of what we thought was important. So, what what gave you the idea for a recall? Uh, you may, you may not even known about the provision because uh, that's yeah, pretty was, rarely invoked. Yeah, Arizona is one of the, the few states. Not every state has it. You're correct. And so I, I had worked on a recall back in 2003 when Governor um, Davis in California was recalled, and we were trying to help him save his position. It did not work out well against Schwarzenegger. And so I knew about the recall being out there. Um, I, uh, so I knew that if we wanted to remove him, there's only one particular provision to do that. That would be the recall provision. Fortunately, Arizona's had that since the founding of its constitution, that provision there to recall your elected officials when, in fact, you know, the voters deem it necessary. 
It's a it's a provision I would just offer that tends to be more common in Western states, who were, happen to be states who came into the union during the progressive era of the the turn of the nineteenth to the twentieth century, plus or minus a few years. So, uh, yeah. uh, if you're from New England or something like that, uh, or back east, uh, they tend not to have that provision unless it was tacked on after the fact. So, how did you go about? Uh, you got this notion. Uh, how did you go about organizing? Well, I, I just well, I wanted to see what the numbers were, right? Because you know anyone can want to recall somebody, but you got to have the numbers that look, at least looking favorable to get the signatures. And so when I did the quick research online. I found out that in his particular district, what the time was LD eighteen, uh, legislative district eighteen, there were upwards of um, forty thousand Democrats and independents who were on the voter file, meaning we knew their names and addresses. And um, and we could reach out to them door to door, and and we we only needed seven thousand seven hundred and fifty six signatures. So I thought that was a huge universe to work with, over a hundred twenty day period to kind of get the signatures to at least you know initiate and trigger a recall election, because um, in Arizona once you recall someone they still stay in office they just have to run again. So you know so then there's an election has to come up. So that was I just I was confident we can get the signatures to initiate and force Governor Brewer to call a special recall election. And that's what happened. So just to clarify for anybody who didn't catch that, the stage one is you get the signatures, they get certified. Usually it means you need 30 percent more or something like that because they'll always knock some signatures out. At that right. point, their stages uh, that that schedules a recall election, which is basically what we used to call a, a jungle primary. If I if I remember, basically that means that candidate goes in as well as any other candidates who who get a sufficient number of signatures, and you do not have a runoff for a majority elected, you you get elect whoever gets the most vote wins, and that's right. that was also the case of Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. If you get more votes. Right. If you had enough candidates, you could get elected with a very tiny percentage if the vote was split up enough. So how do yeah, you we, go about organizing? We started just with um, basic volunteers to start at the library. We raised initially raised $10,000 from 10 individual donors. And each pledged $1,000. And with that, we started both a volunteer operation and a paid signature gathering operation. And so by the time over that period, uh, we started you know, doing grassroots organizing, doing house meetings, having more people get involved and support this effort. Most people that came didn't even think we'd win. They just wanted a chance to fight back, and they thought by getting signatures is their way to, to contribute. And then by the, by the time we finished it, we turned out we turned in over eighteen thousand signatures, which was more than the number of votes Russell Pierce had gotten in his previous election. So we really wanted to send a message. We just didn't want to just barely get by there. We wanted to really you know, show that you know there's, there's a groundswell of support saying that they didn't appreciate the direction Pierce was taking the state. And so out of those, over well over 10,000 were actually valid. So we had a validity rate of between 61 and 65 percent. My recall, and it, it's 10 years ago, is getting a little hazy, is that at that stage, this was regarded as a kind of a tilting at windmills effort. You'll never pull this off. Is that fair? Yes, it was. And by all the major establishment folks on both the, the right and the left. We're saying this was just, you know, you're going to make things worse. Um, why would you want to antagonize him? He's going to come after us. He stays in office while you recall him. Everyone that signs their petition, they're going to know their names. Everyone that gives money, they'll know their names. So it was, it was a very public fight against one of the most powerful um, um, politicians in the, in, the, in the state. So they didn't even call him the de facto governor because SB 1070 helped Jan Brewer get reelected. 
And so it was just a really difficult time to get people to think in an offensive way. Everyone was thinking defensive. How do we kind of just stay the course, keep our head low? And we were coming in with an offensive strategy saying, no, we need, we need to do this now. We're not, we're not going to wait two years. We're going to wait, you know, two, one month. And then by we get to late January, we're going to file this petition. Tyler, so wanted, to, was, Tyler yeah. wanted to chime in on this. Yeah, I just thought it would help listeners put it in scale to understand that this had only happened one other time in Arizona's entire history. In the 1920s, they threw out uh, some judge that had some egregious behavior. That's the only other recall. So, so people well, make him recall. Uh, no, well, yes, but he it didn't go all the way through because he resigned beforehand. Right, but, right, but right. Yes, yeah, it, it was going to go to an election. They had the signature. So there had only been one official yeah. removed via recall in in state history. So there was good reason for skepticism. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't part of the normal process. That's right. And, and just one more comment. I mean, and it's set up very difficult because you know there's, there's election every two years, and so once you, by the time the recall process you get, you know, you do it, and then you have an election, you're all, you're almost getting into the next election cycle. So most people just say, you know what, why why do that? Why not just wait? So that's why there's a lot of factors, just practical things and logistics are working against us. Was it? Uh, I mean, part of the answer to that would it not be that it's symbolic? We're trying to make a statement here. Absolutely, but just for for people, especially people who grew up in Arizona, it, it was outside their their experience, outside what they thought was a capable was capable of achieving, and so it's very hard to to come at people who feel like, you know, this is something that they've already they've already they already think Pierce is invincible. They've already seen that they um, all of that. He had a super majority. Republicans controlled every statewide office, and they're like, you want to do what? <laughs> it didn't make politically it didn't make sense to them that this could have a chance to really get traction and to win. Because the win, and from the very beginning, we said a victory here means that we elect a, a, a moderate Republican or even a conservative Republican who just wasn't anti-immigrant. And for a lot of progressives, that was too much to, to uh, they, can, they can stomach that. But for us, from the very beginning, that was our strategy. And even more so, our strategy was to keep every Democrat out of the race. We'll we'll talk. We'll move to the race when we yeah. return after a break. Right now in the think tank, we'll be back, and I'll talk to Tyler, who who ran the next uh, phase of this campaign, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment and do just that. The think tank, KTAR News on ninety two three FM and KTAR dot com. Uh, Ten years ago, there was a recall of Arizona Senate President Russell Pierce. We're talking about that, and it was a sequential thing. Randy Perez, who initiated recall petitions, uh, just spoke in the last segment. I want to ask you, uh, Randy, as well as Tyler, how and at what point uh, you guys got together, because the impression I got from a talk you guys gave was that uh, Randy was running pretty much an independent operation, hadn't thought through, the, he was going to get the petitions done and hadn't thought through. There was no master plan to this. Is that a fair statement? Well, there was more uh, There was more to it than that. We, I had um, did some one-on-one and re- outreach in January to see if I could identify Republican uh, Republican member of the LDS community who would be willing to run. And I did talk to a woman named Beth Coons, who was a member of the prominent Farnsworth family. And when I talked to her, she asked her just basically the question, if in fact we get signatures and we can end up recalling Russell Pierce, would you consider being the candidate? And she said yes. And she said if not her, she would help us find one. So I, that was before we even filed the petition. So I had done some preliminary work to make sure that at least out there there was some some group of Republicans would be willing to do the do the work, but uh, but once we were in the process of their verifying signatures and it looked appeared that we were going to do that, 
we didn't have we we didn't have we didn't have the ability to really identify and vet a candidate and to do that work. So we were hoping that somehow someone would reach out to us. Tyler, your your involvement at this point. When did you come into the picture? Well, you know, the the whole issue came into our mind, and and uh, I'll speak for Jerry too. I know because I know he and I and several others started uh, thinking about this a lot during the uh, run-up to SB 1070, to its signing. You remember it, it drew a lot of attention. It was a talk, topic of a lot of debate. And that was, to, to be accurate about it, that was Russell Pierce's baby. When oh, yeah. that thing was passed and it went to the governor, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether she would, in fact, sign it. And she, had, she let a, a week of drama build and, mm-hmm. and then signed it. And, then, and sealed her own reelection, I think it's fair to say, at that point. That's right. She was uh, lagging behind. She had been appointed uh, – well, she had slid in from Secretary of State to fill Janet Napolitano's seat mm-hmm. and wasn't really popular. And uh, signing SB 1070 sealed her uh, lead in the, the primary, and then she went on to, I think to be she, governor. Yeah, I think basically her opposition in the Republican primary, my memory is correct, sort of went away at that point. That's right. She, she commandeered the field. She, this was this issue was uh, top of mind, and and in Republican primary at least uh, made her nearly invincible. So it was it was a big deal. But we, you know. Uh, those of us in the community, uh, Jerry and I live in West Mesa, and we have a lot of Latinos in our community, in our churches, in, in the schools. Uh, Jerry was uh, what in the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is called a stake president, and he that means he uh, oversaw half a dozen congregations. And um, I was a, a youth minister of sorts. Uh, and one of my jobs was to help oversee the Boy Scouts in the area. We, uh, each of those congregations sponsored a troop of Boy Scouts, and I uh, helped coordinate with them. And we had a lot of undocumented kids. And I remember thinking, hey, uh, these are good kids. What, what, are we, what are you doing? These are good people. The, the rhetoric and the anger didn't match the reality of our experience. And... It was disturbing, and there were there were a lot of debates and a lot of talk. I, I remember hearing Jerry talk about it. I was you know talking with my friends about it, and there's a lot of talk in the community. And you know the the folks doing the recall had a lot of other issues. Uh, I know this was principal, but for us this was this was it, mm-hmm. and we did not approve of it. And when SB 1070 passed, uh, a friend of mine was the district chair of LD 18. And he invited me to the the meeting. I had never gone to a district meeting. I've been involved in politics, but never in in party politics. And Jan Brewer was there, and I sat right next to Jan Brewer. And she uh, had just signed SB 1070. There were news trucks there, and she you know walked up, and the anger in the room it just felt weird to me. In fact, some uh, undocumented friends of mine called me. Right before uh, the meeting started, and I answered in Spanish and talked to him, and I, I enjoyed a little bit of the, <laughs> the provocation that that was. Learning a little about your personality. <laughs> and and uh, she kind of looked over at me like, that's right, Jan. Um, and, and I uh, grew in resolve to try and do something about it. I didn't know what it would be. Um, that I had always voted for Russell Pierce, by the way. <laughs> 
until that, you know, uh, November, and I voted for the Libertarian. And so, uh, and and then we, you know, we resolved to do something. And then, then he there was talk of him running uh, for Congress that that uh, that he was going to there's going to step down. And I talked to Jerry. He's like, hey, you know, the, the replacement would be appointed. And he thought about it at the time. He's like, ah, oh, no. Uh, uh, his wife Janet, you know, she'll absolutely leave me if I get involved in in politics. <laughs> and so. Um, and then, then Randy had this uh, recall going, and I thought, like everyone else, it was just a symbolic gesture, maybe a little bit of sour grapes. They came to my door. I said, ah, I'm not going to sign the petition. Um, they came to Jerry's door. He didn't sign the petition. And But as things went along, we saw that they've got something going here. This is actually going to work. And, and we, we talked again um, and started thinking about who could run, and I thought, you know— Randy and these folks probably have some far left uh, crazy that will have no chance, and they're going to run this into the ditch. It won't work. And when they had had uh, turned in the signatures and it was a real thing, I I got on their website. I called uh, the number on there, and I talked to I didn't know her at the time, but Randy's wife Lilia, and asked to meet. And then uh, that's the first time we met was in the summer at. Uh, Asian Cafe Express, our favorite meeting place. And this was this was bef- <laughs> once the f- petitions had been filed. Yes. So you knew that you, you had a. Pr- I can't those, remember if they had been filed or if it was were, imminent. That you they knew were it was going to it was going to be successful. It was a, yeah, it was a done they deal. They had big numbers. And I and you know our our conversation was, hey, we need to talk. Okay, we will pick up with a conversation in an Asian restaurant in in the think tank. This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are talking about the uh, recall of Senate President Russell Pierce uh, and the process that led to it with all three of the key principles involved in that recall. Um, You're in a discussion. You you you. Raised an interesting piece of phraseology here. You're afraid they're going to put up some crazy lefty Democrat. Um, I, I recall some of the discussion about that, and I, I think there was a consensus that would be, yes, a bad idea. This was a district that leaned Republican, and to focus the issues, it was important, I think, that the uh, it was widely perceived that the candidate should be a Republican. It should be a conservative and should be a Mormon because any of those things would be an alteration. It's sort of like you hold constant on everything else and and don't uh, uh, but but somebody who has very different views of immigration. Was there also I want to ask you, uh, both of you gentlemen here with me, uh, was there also discussion that if there's to be a Mormon candidate, it should be somebody who, in effect, outranked uh, Russell Pierce. He was a bishop. You were a stake president, Jerry. That's a higher level of position. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't a consideration. Not even. Uh, no. The church didn't come into it at all. Did the church play, other than the fact that you guys are both LDS, but— was there any involvement in the church in this? Was there any sense that 
Russell Pierce has become an embarrassment to us as an institution. Was that? No, the church that? stays out of those kinds mm-hmm. of uh, discussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, they really try hard to stay out of partisan politics. Yeah. So as an institution, they, they had no Not even backdoor discussions about... No. This no was, but mm-hmm. that's not to say that our beliefs don't inform our actions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100% the things that we learn at church and, and, and as Christians in general inform the way we feel about immigrants. Mm-hmm. But that's different yeah. than the church institutionally being involved. Or church leaders. Yeah. Right. As church leaders. And, the, and the, the church did, if I recall, release a statement. I think it was June or July because at the time, Senate President Pierce was trying to say that SB 107, his approach to immigration was consistent with the values of the, of the LDS church. And the church just put out a statement just saying what they believed was their position, and people could decide what they thought the, whether the, Russell st- stood on that. Yeah, Randy, those were very powerful statements, and they yep. they rippled through our community and were part of the discussion. They, and then there was a series of them. And, and I'm not sure it was just what was going on in Arizona. There were other issues involving immigration, not just centered here, that I believe precipitated that June 11th uh, statement. Um, and uh, certainly for me, it was a, a cathartic experience because it, it gave me the the impetus to when they came back again and asked if I'd be willing to join in this effort uh, to this time really consider it more the, seriously. The, the day was Tyler and Randy or others? Uh, no, I never met Randy uh, until mm-hmm. the night of the election, uh-huh. uh, after okay. the election was called. Um, uh, but it was Tyler uh, and uh, a couple of other of our of mm-hmm. our close associates who invited me to reconsider. So, talk to us uh, if you would, uh, Tyler, about that uh, about that process of how do we find the right candidate. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was surprised when I met with Randy that they didn't have a candidate and didn't have a plan. I said, you, you guys did all this and you, you don't have a, a plan? You're nuts. Uh, and and uh, But he was very sane. He realized that that wouldn't work to have some lefty. That just you know, would be a symbolic loss, a bad symbol. Well, it would be, it'd be, it'd be a reaffirmation. You got the signatures, but you lost an election. That's, kind that's of, right. Kind of be a net negative. And that's what they wanted. And so uh, I you know, immediately saw that the strategy would be to have somebody that was more moderate on that issue, but still a, a, a Republican. Somebody who held constant on most other things. Uh, hold, held constant on most other things and then clear the field. Mm-hmm. And and we actually spoke to half a dozen. And, there, you know, when you talk about Randy and me and Jerry, uh, you know, there were so many people involved uh, mm-hmm. passionately working so hard. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people involved, but uh, there was at least five or six folks that that had to be persuaded not to jump in the race. Mm-hmm. They all wanted to be in it for, for you know, their own passionately held good reasons. So you reasons. got the guy who wasn't crazy about running. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's so, a pretty, pretty good criteria. You know what? All the good people that don't want to run for office, <laughs> it's a magnet for narcissists. And, and to get uh, good people, they have to be recruited. Right. And, so, so did you go to his wife first? Uh, no, yeah, that was so hard. <laughs> no, that's what I did. Yeah. That, that was that was an issue. Wasn't well, you know, it? she was. Yeah. You ought to have Jerry talk about yes. his decision yes. process. Well, I, I think it's important in, in our faith. We believe that marriage is eternal, and mm-hmm. so I don't want to do anything that is contrary to my eternal companion. And uh, this is a discussion. You're in this for the long haul. <laughs> if we're in this for the long haul, I don't want to mess this up uh, now. And. Um, 
after we first discussed this back in February uh, when Jeff Lake was considering uh, running for Senate and they were needing uh, someone to replace him. Tyler asked me the first time, and we we did a lot of prayer and fasting about it, and decided no, this isn't this isn't what we want to do. Um, and so there was this February to basically July hiatus, uh, where there wasn't a candidate. A lot was mm-hmm. happening with the recall, um, and then of course the church statement came out. Uh, and when they came back and asked again, I uh, went back to Janet and said, "Hey, look, at uh, the recall has now been certified." And the church has now come out with a statement that really articulates. Janet the, is your wife. Yeah, Janet. Uh, yeah. The, the statement articulates exactly how I feel. And uh, as, a, as a state president, I worked with a lot of Hispanic families and saw a lot of Hispanic families broken up. Uh, deportations, uh, people just fleeing the country, fleeing the state, uh, going to work other places. Uh, and I saw a lot of, of ill. And as someone who I, I think I'm somewhat pragmatic, I thought there's got to be a better solution here and someone's got to step up and do something. So now when the call came again, went back to Janet and explained my feelings. And she quickly answered, well, which part of no don't you understand? <laughs> and uh, um, through, a, through a series of, of very, very deep spiritual experiences over the next week and a half, uh, which I won't go into here. You can read it in Randy's book. Uh, somewhat, somewhat correct. Um, and she had a major change of heart. And uh, I was up in Idaho when I called her and uh, said, hey, have you – have you had any more thoughts about this? And she says, we need to do this. And I really, mm-hmm. at that point in time, it got really, it got real. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to decide, okay, fine, do I really want to do this? Because now she's not the reason. That was really easy to say. She didn't want to do it. But now I really had to decide if I want to do this. Did that require more time or when she? That was on a, on a Wednesday morning, as I recall. Uh, I was sitting up uh, 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 somewhere around Rexburg, Idaho. We'd been fishing with a bunch of Boy Scouts, and I was at a place where I get some cell reception. It was in the morning. Uh, I, my next call was to uh, the two owners of the, uh, the charter school that I was their CEO for an online school. Uh, and said, hey, look, at here's what I'm thinking of. And they, they both are very, very pro immigration uh, reform, and, and both spoke Spanish and served Spanish-speaking missions, and they said, oh, you need to do this. And then I called the CEO of the overall business with Sequoia Charter Schools, Ron Neal, uh, who has since passed away, and he just said, no, no, we'll support you, whatever it takes, so you need to do this. And, and basically went and made it a matter of prayer for the next couple of hours and made the decision, and uh, everything changed. And you're in. Uh, two things. Uh, I guess I remember you saying that one of the important things was to clear the Democratic field. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, how, how did that go about? And the second part of the question to you, Tyler, is who is Olivia Cortez? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'll let Randy talk about the Democratic field. There was a, a, a lot of folks that, you know, it was it was hard for them to say – I, I'm going to support a Republican here. That would be the greater good. But, Randy, you want to talk to that? Yeah, we had um, one of the guys who had run against Pierce in the previous election was Andrew Sherwood, who got was beaten by double digits. It wasn't just – the district didn't just lean right. It was a solid red, red district. And so I had spoken to him prior to explain the strategy. He said he would stay out of the race. And so – but when this – once the – the recall became a reality, and this was like national news. I mean, it was just everyone was like it was the buzz, and people wanted. It was hard to keep people out, and so Andrew was plotting to get back into the race. And so I had to go to Ken Chapman, who was the executive director of the Maricopa County Democratic Party, and say, "Look, you know, Ken, Andrew's thinking of filing papers. I have no control over him. He can, anyone can file, 
can you talk to him? Can you and, your, and explain to him why this is not in his best interest? Because Ken had been an ally behind the scenes from the very beginning, and he understood the strategy. This was an anti-peer strategy. It wasn't a let's get a Democrat elected strategy. And so Ken intervened, and they had a, had a meeting whereby they explained to him that if, you know, if he did not pull back, um, that they would, in fact, make sure he would never get, get involved in any type of elected office. And because there was one through the redistricting, there'd be new opportunities for, for Andrew to run, which he eventually did and win. And the other thing we had to explain to people, the moment a Democrat files paperwork and declares a candidacy, the Republican just lost the votes they needed to win. And that was just basic. That was a strategy. And most folks could not understand that. Okay, part two. Who is Olivia Cortez? She's a nice lady. Lives in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, she was recruited by uh, Pierce supporters and and supported by Pierce relatives uh, to get her signatures as a, a diversionary candidate mm-hmm. uh, to so that there would be a female Latina on the ballot. Uh, I don't know if she had changed her registration. I think she's a Republican. I, I don't know if she changed her registration to independent or not i don't remember that but uh, uh she was put up to to draw off the vote it was a you know a deliberate strategy that they pursued and uh ended up not working there was a it was a uh, but there had to be a heck of an education campaign that's right, right. she was on the there democratic was. line right well and, and they and as you said hispanic latina if somebody is not engaged in politics at all so tom ryan filed a uh an action in court uh Saying that this was a fraud, and uh, and the judge held that you know she could do she could be in the race for any reason that she wanted, and then they pursued additional uh, charges of you know inappropriate activity, and she decided to just drop out. Mm-hmm. But her name was already on the ballot, so they had already achieved yeah. something. They ended up getting what was it, Randy, two hundred and fifty votes or 2%. something. Well, interesting on that, the, the, you know, Greg Western, who was the actual chair of the Red Mountain Tea Party, was the one who, a close ally of Russell Pierce, one who recruited her. She was in her ward, and then the second thing was that um, she got a couple hundred votes prior to election day, an early vote. But on election day, she only got she got less than one vote per precinct because of all the work that. We did all the work that Promise Arizona in Action did to really target the Latino vote and let them know that a vote for Olivia Cortez was a vote for um, uh, for Pierce. And, and she was clearly so, a, a sham candidate. She she hid from the press, had no oh, yeah. no semblance of any kind of campaign whatsoever. So uh, election night, the vote tally was. I think we won by twelve percent. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was interesting about that is we kept on hearing that, well, if you win, it'll just be because, uh, you know, the Democrats beat you. But there was a poll, I think it was an ABC 15 poll the weekend before that actually showed us leading by 2 percent amongst Republican voters. Mm -hmm. And so when the results came back, uh, early results came back uh, as they did, showing a a much sizable, larger lead than we thought, uh, it was very surprising. And throughout the night, that lead only grew uh, in the final uh, canvas was, I believe, about 12 percent. Uh, victory. Okay, internal polling that we ran showed, uh, and we were terrified when we saw it, a third of the Democrats supported Russell Pierce. <laughs> and we thought, oh, no. <laughs> but we did end up getting much deeper into the Republican Party than than we had planned on. What did what did that same poll show about Republicans? That was close to half. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of the reason is is 
so many of the things they did, the the, the Cortez uh, um, sham, um, several of the attacks that they, they placed on me, people knew better. They, you they you knew want to know they, my favorite attack, Jerry? Go they, ahead. They put out an ad saying that Jerry Lewis steals backpacks from homeless children. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, 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 I was involved with the, the former PAPA school. We call it the Children First Leadership Academy now. And um, somehow they had spoken with a former employee. And from that discussion, they, they contrived this idea that he steals backpacks. But people who knew me knew better. And I think a lot of people saw that they, were, they, they didn't want to even be involved with this. But then when they saw the attacks, I think a lot of things they did backfired on them. There was a, there was a lot of other attacks. There was a famous television ad on Halloween night that had me all draped in, in black and, and blood coming out of my mouth. And um, it, people saw it and I think were persuaded not to, not to I, go I along just, with Before it. we move on, yeah. this segment I want to conclude here. We, maybe a minute or so we got. What was life like in the Senate for you? And you did sort of retain, uh, true to form in that uh, as somebody who was drafted into this, your tenure in the Senate was, was not very long. No, I think uh, it, it was a great experience. Got to meet a lot of wonderful people, and I, I think uh, um, accomplished what we needed to accomplish in stopping a lot of the nonsense with uh, the anti-immigration legislation that was going on. Um, and I believe that the uh, the payback for doing what we did was I got redistricted into a very Democratic district uh, that included ASU and North Tempe, uh, where no Republican could ever win. And that would be in the 2010. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. Yeah. 2010 cycle for 2012. If you looked at the map, uh, and Russell Pierce appointed one of the. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it goes down, 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 down. Jogs over, gets Jerry's house, and then moves back <laughs> over. <laughs> it was a deliberate <laughs> act to, to put him out right. of there to try and bring Russell back in the next election. We'll be back and, and we want to we talk with these guys about what they think the long-term implications of this uh, recall effort was and what it says about us as a state and where we're going when we return in the Think Tank for a final segment. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com Okay, we've been talking to Randy Perez, uh, Jerry Lewis, and Tyler Montague. Tyler, wanted to ask you, but then go to the other guys here. What do you think is the long-term legacy of this uh, recall effort? I'll tell you what. One thing is, is easy. Since Jerry did what he did and Randy uh, you know, it kicked it off and, uh, and then you know, Bob Worsley followed Jerry Lewis, there has been no – anti-immigrant legislation passed this state. That's a decade. And before that, there had been a steady stream of it. I mean, we all talk about SB 1070, but there had been ballot proposition after ballot proposition after law passed for a decade. So one of them we're trying to undo right now, the uh, tuition issue for... I'm, I'm heavily in, involved in that. I, I'm helping lead the PAC campaigning for that. And uh, I, I think voters regret... Uh, the the nastiness, some of it, some of it just doesn't make sense. The, but there's a lot of problems with immigration, but the kids who are trying to go to college are not one of them. They have been in our schools. They were brought here uh, not by their own decision. They've been in our schools, our churches, on our sports teams. They're Arizona kids, and uh, it makes sense to let them go to college on the same basis as their peers. Everyone that we put through college contributes so much more to the economy. If uh, you've ever seen the figures on that, um, 
college is almost a perfect predictor. Statistically, it's an overwhelming predictor. People who've been to college are paying more in taxes than they're taking out in benefits. And by and large, those below that level are the reverse. They, they pay so, almost 400000 more over their lifetime on average in taxes. It, then they just, get back. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a clear and simple policy. So if, if voters will vote for this next year, it's easy. It doesn't create any kind of special entitlement. It just says if you've been here for two or more years going to our schools and graduate from an Arizona high school, you can attend the, the state colleges and, and community colleges just like the, your other peers, pay in-state tuition. Uh, but they have, to, doesn't, they have to qualify. They have to earn it. There's no – no giveaway. You know, one of the things, and this is slightly a field, but it's still broadly within the immigration. I saw very, very compelling, uh, I think, the definitive report on immigration, which is that uh, that uh, the impact of tightening the border, which went back basically to Clinton administration when they cleaned up the the uh, border patrol and, and started doing aggressive uh, enforcement – the, the estimate is that caused a 30 percent net increase in immigration. And the reason was easily understood. Workers used to come here mostly male. They worked. They went back home. They, they, they cycled in and out. Once the border starts to get hardened, once they get here, they don't want to come back. They bring their families and then you and, – and the net of all that border enforcement is a 30 percent increase over what it would have been with no border enforcement. Well, always, and always on in, in answer to your question, to go along with what you yeah. just said, I think what this campaign did is it gave it gave uh, impetus to uh, Senator McCain and Senator Flake, who later joined another uh, bipartisan coalition in, in Congress, to try to do something that really did make mm-hmm. sense. And and I, it, unfortunately, it. it failed. Um, but I think what it did, it gave people the the courage to be able to stand up and find sensible solutions to real problems rather than these cut and dry pro- solutions that will only last until the next administrator is voted out of office. I think Pierce and basically the whole issue had a lot of politicians terrified that this could yep. be used to and that may have may have mm-hmm. kiboshed that. Well, the the way we select people with the the primary system and the general election select you, you have the most extreme passionate elements of a party right and left mm-hmm. uh, choosing your candidates, and then it it often delivers people who aren't thoughtful about the problems, like you illustrated. You know, it's a populist kind of sentiment that yeah, we should we should lock the border down, but unwittingly, it created a worse problem than than. Than they had, so it it just wasn't smart policy. You need you need politicians that are thoughtful, that uh, have head and heart, and not just you know rage. Yeah. And to also address your question, people don't realize that while the recall was going on, Russell Pierce push was pushing through one of the most an- omnibus anti-immigrant bills in the country. Well, it would make it would have made SB 1070 look like small potatoes what he was trying to do. This was going to go after uh, undocumented immigrants in public schools, at hospitals, and housing. It was going to make it difficult for mixed, you know, mixed citizenship and non-citizenship families. And the only reason why I was defeated because, you know, over 60 CEOs wrote a letter to the modern Republicans saying, you know, stand down. Please don't do this. We need to do this at the federal level. And so but Pierce forced the vote. Because in his mind, in his vision of Arizona, he wanted to challenge those people he called rhinos, Republicans and names only, that vote against his anti-immigrant on the bus immigration bill in the following election so that he could get, he get a, a – he wanted a Tea Party majority, not a Republican majority. 
And so that's what, that's what the recall stopped. That never occurred. Russell Pierce never was able to capitalize that. He never was able to run for governor. We actually got Medicaid expansion, which now covers over five, close to 500,000 Arizonans, low-income Arizonans, because Brewer, without Pierce being president of the Senate, was now able to breathe again, to have some maneuverability, and to actually sign something. So the same governor that ragged her finger in uh, President Obama's face on the airport was the same governor that signed Medicaid expansion in Arizona. Well, Randy, uh, you started they- this, and you get the last word today. Thank you very much, Tyler Montade, Randy Perez, and Jerry Lewis. The book, by the way, Randy just wrote, is called Dignity by Fire, available in all the usual places. We'll be back next week in the Think Tank.